His and Hers Horror features two adults discussing horror movies, serial killers, and other spooky content that may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. listening to his and hers horror my name is tia and i'm david and we're back yes we are we uh, apologize for taking a break yeah it's been hot as balls where we are yeah uh, i mean it's hot everywhere but typically in missouri it does not get up to 120 right 100, uh, <laughs> 115 uh humidity you know or heat index yeah that's no. It's a little terrifying when you are um, getting ready to go to work and you look at the weather app on your phone and it says like 97 degrees with like 90% humidity. And so the little real feel mm-hmm. says 120. Yeah. And our apartment does not have central air. <laughs> Right. So we kind of had to take a break because we can't exactly turn off everything to record um, because we would die. (laughs) Yeah. Well, plus being on an upper floor, anybody who isn't cooling their apartment is just radiating heat to our apartment. So it's... Yeah. We have had instances in the past where the person who lived below us never used their air conditioner. Yeah. And so it was just insanely hot in our unit just because of that. So, yeah. But it is better. It's yeah. like in the 80s right now. It rained yesterday, which was so nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we are back. And we're going to do something a little bit more laid back today. We haven't done one of these random body parts in a while. Yeah. But there's been a lot of stuff going on, not just with the weather, but like stuff that's been super stressful with my work. and with my work. And with your work. Yeah. And we just kind of like, you know what? Let's do something yeah. A little laid back, a little more conversational. So, chill episode inbound. Exactly. It is still very horror focused, not yeah. like our last episode where we were like, is this even horror? Well, I mean, truly anything can be horror if you look hard enough at it. It kind of depends on your perspective. Um, but no, we're we're back in it now. Actually horror. So before we get into the questions that I have written, mm-hmm. this week in horror. Oh, okay. I mean, don't get too excited because uh. I still <laughs> I don't have any um, like film news or anything. Uh, the WGA and SAG after strikes are still ongoing. Yep. The producers, the AMPTA or whatever, CEO douchebags, right, are basically now saying. That they're just going to wait people out until they start losing their homes. Like, they said the quiet part out loud. <laughs> yeah, it's some serious bullshit and they need to rethink their lives. Yeah. I've seen some some fun stuff from the protests, or not protests, uh, from the picketing, though. Yeah. Uh, where, like, whole casts of shows mm-hmm. have just shown up to be there together. Yeah. So, like, the whole cast of, like, the West Wing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw a speech that Martin Sheen gave. It was really good. Uh, and almost the entire cast of Parks and Rec, mm-hmm. including little Sebastian. Yes. Which I, that was just adorable. Um, Most of the Glee cast got, got together. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. ones that are 
still alive and not in jail. And on speaking terms. On speaking terms. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's been inspiring to see. Hopefully this gets wrapped up sooner rather than later from, and from a standpoint of this is people's lives. This is their livelihood. Yeah. And so for you to say, well, we'll just wait them out until they're homeless. That's fucked up. That is the reverse of finding a solution to the issue. Right. That is making the issue worse. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that sucks. Um, but I do have a book review today. Ooh, okay. So I have um, kind of gotten into, in my in my algorithm on TikTok, I've, I've gotten into what is called book talk, which mm. is like book recommendations, specifically into horror book talk. Wow. You found a niche. I found the niche niche. Yes. Yeah, the, ni- the niche niche of niches niche. So I've been getting these books that have, have been recommended. Um, so far, they've all been really good. There is one. Hmm. <laughs> I am going to go ahead. Uh, so the book I'm reviewing this episode is uh, The Troop mm-hmm. by Nick Cutter. Um, let me go ahead and read the um, the description. Once a year, Scoutmaster Tim Riggs leads a troop of boys into the Canadian wilderness for a three-day camping trip. A tradition as comforting and reliable as a good ghost story and a roaring bonfire. But when an unexpected intruder, shockingly thin, disturbingly pale, and voraciously hungry, stumbles upon their campsite, Tim and the boys are exposed to something far more frightening than any tale of terror. The human carrier of a bioengineered nightmare. An inexplicable horror that spreads faster than fear. A harrowing struggle for survival that will pit the troop against the elements, the infected, and one another. Wow. So I ha- I do have to give um, something that I'm gonna uh, that I'm gonna do when I do these book reviews is I'll give like trigger warnings, like content mm-hmm. warnings. Um, so trigger warnings for this book for uh, violence against animals, uh, extreme body horror, and parasites. Um, this book is not for the faint of heart or the weak of stomach. Okay. But if you can hang in there, it is worth it. This book terrified me Hmm. to the point where I was about halfway through and I had to take a break Hmm. because it had me, it had me so freaked out that I was afraid for for like a week to eat anything that wasn't hot. Fair. Like I didn't want to eat like a ham sandwich. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just that I didn't want to eat anything that hadn't been cooked first. It had to have been just heated up. Right. To ensure that anything that could be on it was dead. (laughs) Gotcha. And that's how I'm getting the feeling from other stuff I've read that that's kind of how Nick Cutter's work is, is it really, it really gets to you. Kind of gets under your skin. Yes, definitely. Mm. I have never in my life read a book that terrified me and fascinated me at the same time. It's like, I, I wanted to stop reading, but I couldn't put it down at the same time. Frozen in fear, but couldn't look away. Yeah, exactly. Um, it made me sick to my stomach. Wow. Um, but by the end of it, I was like in tears for like, 
mourning mourning these boys and what they had to go through because this is a group of they're like 14 year olds right um and they're just they're stuck on this island with this this parasite that it it develops and spreads incredibly fast and once you get in once you get infected with this it basically causes you to be so voraciously hungry that you will eat anything you will try and eat rocks and it eventually gets to the point where your body starts to eat itself Mm. and it's just it's cringy and it's just terrifying and it makes you so uncomfortable um I will say there are sections, it is, um, it is semi-epistolary. So there are like news articles and, um, court transcripts and stuff like that, that kind of help flesh out the story. I know, flesh flesh out. out. Yeah, I know. Um, but I highly recommend it. I gave it five stars just because I will never read it again, probably, Mm -hmm. but I, but it, it was able to get to me so much and that really says something. Okay. So I gave it five stars. So I highly recommend uh, The Troop by Nick Cutter. Fantastic. Thank you. All right. So let me get my piece of paper. Okie dokie. All right. So just to preface this, I wrote these questions and David has no idea what any of them are. <laughs> she offered to share it with me and I said, no, He's, why would you do no. that? I, well, I, I thought you might want to prepare. No. But okay. I would just overthink everything. That's fair. All right, so my first question. Yes. What is a horror film that you feel gets too much praise? Like people put too much stock in it. They act like it's the like the best horror movie ever. Drag Me to Hell. That's the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. You know, play shitty games, win shitty prizes. You know, take ownership for, for what you've done, make amends. There you go. Yeah. Movie solved in, what, two seconds, five seconds? That was that's one of those movies that I couldn't even finish it because I didn't care mm. about because I have to at least for me and I'm, I'm sure I've said this before like I have to at least be in be somewhat invested in the character's survival right if the entire if the entire film is going to focus on the survival of a single character I have to care about that character mm-hmm. and I do not give a shit about that character the second she kills a kitten right. I'm like, no, I don't, whatever. For a promotion. Really? Okay. Yeah. See, mine is The Shining. Okay, yeah, I get that. Well, and I feel, okay. I feel this way about Kubrick in general. Mm-hmm. I I feel like people, a lot of people are like, oh, Kubrick, he's one of the best directors of all time. And it's like, yeah, he made some good movies, but he was also a real asshole. Yeah. Like, borderline tortured Shelley Duvall. Mm-hmm. And, like, her hair was falling out, and she was having, like, a, like emotional distress. Right. And I just, I don't know. The, some of the stuff that he pulled would not be allowed anymore. Like, you would get sued. Yeah. And The Shining, in particular, is... One of the only Stephen King adaptations that Stephen King himself has said he doesn't like. Right. Because it deviates so dramatically. And 
that's really saying something if you look at a lot at the, yeah. the plethora of king adaptations yeah then yeah um there's a the shining miniseries with steven weber and mm-hmm. i think rebecca de mornay mm-hmm. that they did in the 90s that is actually like more accurate to the book uh, i'll have to get it at some point and okay and you can see what i mean i'm pretty sure i've seen it really yeah okay all right next question okay is there a remake that you feel is better than the original? Mm. I know it's kind of a loaded question. It is. Because if there's one thing about the horror genre, when you compare it to action and drama and comedies, there are a lot more horror remakes mm-hmm. than there are of, I, I would argue, the rest, every other genre combined. I can give you two. Okay. One, zero caveats whatsoever. Okay. And that is uh, the 70s era Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yes. Because the the original 1950s one. Wasn't it made during the Hayes Code? It was, it was Hayes Code and and it didn't, I don't really feel like it, it didn't grip you in the guts the way this one does. Mm-hmm. This one kind of says, look at me when I'm talking to you. So yeah. Sort of, you know, sitch. it's, it's one of the ultimate, like you don't feel good. Mm-hmm. There's no hopefulness in, in this, in the seventies version, like there is in the fifties. Cause that was the whole thing with Hayes code is, is one of the rules was the, you know, the villain has to be punished. The, the movie has to have a happy ending. And there's some movies where you just can't do that. That's just not how the story goes. Sometimes the bad guy wins. You know, sometimes the hero doesn't get the girl or save her in time. Exactly. I I personally prefer kind of downer horror movies where nobody wins or yes, there's a or multiple survivors, but at what cost? You know, I, I like them to have some weight to them. Especially if they can do it in a in a way that's clever. Right. I remember the first time I watched The Mist, mm-hmm. the ending pissed me off yeah. so bad. But then I, when I revisited that film and I got to that ending the second time I watched it, I was like, fuck, that's actually really smart. Yeah. It's, it's incredibly a, subversive. A devastating end. Um, I feel the same way about, uh, not to the, not to the same extent, but have you ever seen the movie Skeleton Key? Yeah. Yeah, that one also has a downer ending. And I remember mom and I going to see that together in theaters and she was pissed about the ending. She hated it. The fact that the, you know, the bad guys won. But I was like, it actually works and it actually makes sense. So what's your other one? The other one uh, might be a little contentious, but I I feel I've got solid ground to stand on here. Uh, This is this is all these questions. This is opinion based. Right. I I just I am constantly thinking about the the listeners and and them going, ew, why would you say that? Like, oh, my God, why? Because I constantly feel like I'm being judged. But that's okay. That's just my own neuroses. Anyway, there's someone driving in their car listening to this and going, oh, my God, David, really? Right. Like. Like, in my house, we don't even own that movie because it's just awful. Yeah, well, no, good for you. it's the uh, late 90s uh, House on Haunted Hill remake with Jeffrey Rush. And, yeah, and uh, Vampy Anson and Tay Diggs. Tay yeah. Diggs, yeah. That movie 
the sequels are awful. Oh yeah, no, but but <laughs> but that movie introduced me to aspects of horror I hadn't seen before. Like mm-hmm. I hadn't seen any of the meat puppet type animation really. Yeah, outside of like a tool video. Yeah. So to see it applied that way, I'm just like, holy shit. Yeah. Like okay the the whole the whole big scary thing at the end really wasn't all that scary but the lead up to it the, was the cgi does not hold up no it but doesn't. most late 90s early 2000s cgi doesn't so it's because we were still learning right but but i i feel like it 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 tells it tells a story without having to explain who all of these people are and everything like it it shows you a picture and you're like Oh wait, and these names, and you start kind of piecing it together. So it's a, it's almost a detective story, but it doesn't t- tell you it is. Yeah. But as the audience, you start to realize it is, and you're like, "That's why." Oh God, these guys are all screwed. And then there's that twist at the end where you're like, "Oh wow!" And so that actually kind of has a "Sada, everything's okay" until you start thinking about things like, "How are they going to get down from there?" Right. <laughs> I think one of the characters even says that they're like, "How are we getting down from here?" <laughs> but. I mean, it's sim- it's a simple popcorn flick, in in my opinion. Yeah, that that has, you know, that has some some dark roots in American history and in 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 well in in modern Western history of of how how we used to treat the asylums, mentally ill. Yeah. yeah, and and just how awful that is, and how awful people can be. Because mm-hmm. I mean, ugh. Because, like, we've made a lot of strides with how we treat mental health and mental illness in this country. It's still by no means where it needs to be. Right. We definitely still have people who are like, oh, you're depressed? Just go to church. Yeah, no that, thanks. I was told that once. Like, wow. oh, you can stop taking your antidepressants if you just go to church and pray more. It's like, mm, that's not really how brain chemistry works, but okay. I was told kind of the same thing, by, <laughs> but they, they said, why don't you just go work out? Yeah. Okay, I can barely get up. Or get out of my home, and you're telling me to go to a gym. Yeah. Let, let's take baby steps to there, maybe. Yeah. Just you know, go for a run. Like, I am I in pain. I have chronic pain. Fuck off. Exactly. <laughs> we get there. Yeah. How about you? Any uh, any remakes that really jump jump out to you as, as being like, wow, this one actually, it fixed it. Because mm. I would even say a remake that brings something that is amazing to a new audience that then inspires them to go and look at the original could also be considered a wonderful thing. Yeah, because that's the thing, because the original House on Haunted Hill is is also good, but it's definitely of its time. Right. If that makes any any kind of sense. I mean, you do have Vincent Price, so I mean it can't it can't, it can't be, be that bad. Exactly. Because Vincent Price is a Missouri OG. Um damn. Sorry, I'm trying to think now. Actually I've got one other that I could throw out there. While I'm thinking, yeah, go for it. Uh funny games. The Directed by the same director, shot for shot remake in English, because sometimes that's the only one you're able to get a hold of. Well, because that's and and he initially wanted to make the film in the U.S., but didn't have the money for it. Mm-hmm. And so when he got when he, like, that's the whole point of it. And right. It's not that far. It's not even that far separated from the original uh, as far as like release. Yeah. But I feel like Funny Games is, I don't know, I liked it as as an interesting story mm-hmm. with, with some good chilling moments, good acting. You know. 
but I feel like it gets it to a wider audience. That's kind of my example of like something that could get to a a broader audience, if you will. I just feel like I'm rambling. No, you know, you're fine. So I also have two. Okay. Uh, I think I'm going to start. So I'm going to start with one that's probably less contentious. Okay. Now, I love Tim Curry. Mm -hmm. Tim Curry's Pennywise is fantastic. But the the newer It movies that Andy Muschietti made are fantastic. Mm -hmm. I I don't even necessarily mind the updated timeline. Mm -hmm. Um, Not timeline. Um era setting i I know what you meant um i don't even necessarily mind that because i feel like it it kind of works and you the whole thing is um 80s nostalgia is so big right now thanks to you know the duffer brothers and stranger things and and things like stuff like that um even to an extent jordan peele with with uh the opening to us yeah also very 80s very 80s also um so i feel like that kind of plays well with this um with the it story Mm -hmm. with and um it's not perfect by any means um but but i feel like most you're very you're gonna be hard-pressed to find the perfect film right um but i vastly prefer it to the tv miniseries i feel like doing horror as a tv miniseries depending on what you know, what channel it's going to be on. Mm -hmm. And this was on like ABC or something. It kind of loses its teeth. It loses. Yeah, it definitely does. And that's the thing that, that the, the newer versions have is they're able to go places that the TV miniseries was not. Right. Cause Pennywise was brutal. Yeah. Not who just going to be over here. No. Yeah. There was a lot more trust. Yeah, Tim Curry's Pennywise was menacing, but Bill Skarsgård's Pennywise is so much more. Yeah. Um, I I keep thinking about the 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 leopard that that Eddie sees, mm. and and every time that that character is on, I have to cover my eyes because I just can't. See, the image I keep having is him twisting himself out of the refrigerator. Yes. That's just so beautifully done. Yeah. That, ugh, yeah. Um, so the other one I have is maybe a little bit more um, going to be a little bit more contentious. Okay. But I I preface this by saying the original creator approved of it. Okay. Last House on the Left. Fair. Yeah. Part of what I love about the I like that the Last House on the Left remake one of the girls does live. Mm-hmm. She makes it back to her parents' house and it, it adds an ele- it adds a little bit of something to the film when she realizes that, you know, the people that are sleeping in her parents' house are the people that tried to kill her. Right. It kind of draws a little bit of the nihilism away. A little bit. I also like that there is a little bit of redemption mm-hmm. for one of the characters, the um, the the son, basically Krug's son, yeah, who has just been emotionally and mentally manipulated by his father, doesn't want, who didn't want to do any of this horrible shit, gets an opportunity to change. 
Yeah. And that I appreciate. I like when we have this, when we have good character development. Mm-hmm. So yeah, those are, those are my two. And that's not to say again, that I don't like the originals. I do, but there's just a little bit something about the remakes that just kicks it up that extra little bit. Right. It's kind of like if you have like a really good, um, like a really good, like plate of spaghetti. Mm-hmm. And then you like shred some fresh Parmesan cheese on top. It's like, it doesn't mean that the spaghetti's not good, but the Parmesan adds that extra little depth of flavor that you were missing. Exactly. All right. What is a horror movie that pissed you off? Mm. Well, I guess my my number one horror movie that pissed me off would be The Devil Inside. Yep. Don't make people pay for something they have to go online to find out the rest of, which is no longer an active website. Which they can't even do anymore. Yeah. This is this is not game development where you think you can release most of a film and then have everybody download the rest. No. Yeah. No. You, that's bullshit. There's not there's no such thing as DLC for films. I would call that clickbait the movie is what it is. Yeah. And it's it's not even it's not even briefly amusing clickbait at that. It like, had potential. I remember yeah. liking it up until a certain point. Yeah. The car crash. And then it goes for more information, go to this website, and, and you're like, and then credits roll, and I'm sitting here going, "What the fuck? Where's the rest of my movie?" Yeah, I feel like um, a lot of people love this movie, and I love this movie too until the very end, and that was uh, the the first entry into the uh, the houses that October built. Yeah, because like I was engaged with the characters, I cared about their survival. You know, they're they're seeing these like pop up you know uh haunted attractions haunted attraction yeah. type things and then there's a convergence on their van and black and mm-hmm. then nothing and i'm like so you're telling us a climax is coming and then you stop and you, then you're not giving it to us you've ruined our horror orgasm here just by le- letting it hang like that what, what are you doing yeah i mean it, it's it's horror blue balls the movie I can see that. I actually think when we watched it afterwards, we immediately went and like watched some saw clips or something so we could get some satisfaction out of it. Right. I don't know. I don't remember what we did, but I remember one of us suggesting, let's watch something now that actually has an ending. Yeah. Um. So yeah, if you're going to make a horror movie, please include the ending or like make it clear that it's not, this is, it's like it's some Azura's Wrath bullshit where they're like, oh, that's not the real ending. The real ending is going to cost you $5. Exactly. Yeah, no. That's, yeah, th- those movies piss me off. Like, I would much rather have a horror movie that I'm bored with yeah. than a movie that doesn't, fin- doesn't finish the job and then expects people to pay money for it. Yeah. Because if nothing else, you've wasted my time. Yeah. It'd be like buying a book, but the last chapter is missing. They're like, we're going to just leave it up to your imagination what happens to everybody. No, we need no, a fucking conclusion. Me. That's what storytelling is. <laughs> Can't just write cliffhanger one shots, okay? No. <sighs> Sorry, I got a little... No, I got it. We're It's a genre we're passionate about, so when people yeah. fuck with it or don't do their job properly... Because, again, film, film is a form of storytelling. You need to tell me the story. Yeah. If your story doesn't have an ending, then go back, write one, and then come back to me. Right. I can forgive outdated effects or really bad effects. I can forgive bad acting 
or bad dubbing. Yeah. Or shitty costumes or, you know, part I can see part of a set and I'm like, wow, the gymnasium's also this person's home because right. I can see this part. I can forgive all that. Just tell the fucking story. Yeah. That's all I'm asking. Tell it all the way. Yeah. Mine is Spiral. Mmm. <laughs> Vaguely influenced by the flavor of Saw. It's not a... <laughs> it is not a I'm going to get up on my I'm going to get up on my saw soapbox. I know a lot of people don't grok with 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 saw. They call it torture porn. I don't like the phrase torture porn. I think there's a big difference between like anyway. That is neither here nor there. So a lot of so okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Trying to figure out how to phrase this. It's okay. It's something that you're passionate about. So no, legitimately, we were watching a What Culture video the other day, and they were talking about, like, horror movie characters, and they said, like, they're like, so-and-so was, was Jigsaw's third apprentice, and I was like, wait a second, were they? And I had to pause and go through the movies in my head to try and, like, parse out timelines. Yeah, because it does get a little a little Because it does get a little fuzzy, and, and I, by the end of me figuring this out, I was like, okay, yeah, technically they're right, because we don't know blah, blah, blah. Right. Uh, anyway. John Kramer's whole deal was putting people into traps, wanting them to escape them so they could learn the value of their life. Right. Or start appreciating what they have, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, that is not the goal of the traps in Spiral. The goal of the traps in Spiral is, is punishment. Mm -hmm. It is a form of revenge. And while I understand the whole getting revenge against a corrupt political system, as far as like police brutality mm. and corruption and things of that nature, I get that. I understand wanting to um, balance the scales, as right. it were. However, co-opting Jigsaw's whole deal to try and do that, he would not have approved of that. Multiple times... Throughout the series, John said, killing is distasteful. You have to give them a chance. And the people in the traps in Spiral do not really have a chance. Yeah. And so that bothered me. I feel like if you wanted to tell that story, you could have done it by writing an original story and it would have been great. That's part of what pisses me off about Spiral is you co-opted this thing that already existed for brand recognition, but you did it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> in my opinion. You, did you it, missed you, the point. Yeah, you, you you missed the entire point of of the exercise and didn't like, really learn anything from it. Yeah, like to the extent where we're getting a saw we're getting a saw ten. And it's just completely ignoring that shit. Yeah. <laughs> Although I think it it is it is technically a um, like a prequel sidequel type thing, kind of because it takes place somewhere. It takes place before John actually passed away, right? Um. But st but still, it just and I was so excited when we started seeing trailers for that. I was like, oh, Chris Rock is making this, you know is is involved in this samuel jackson in a horror movie this is gonna be great he's barely in the fucking thing 
Yeah. The amount that he is in the trailers is basically the amount that he is in the movie. And that also pissed me off. I hate when they do that shit. It goes right back to Jason Statham and in the name of the king. He's on the... He's on the box, but he's in the movie for five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, what the fuck? You're like, why am I, what am I doing here? Who are these people? Where's Jason? Where's Jason Statham? Yeah. No, it's, it's exceedingly frustrating. I... And again, I get why studios make sequels because it is for brand recognition and you've got an automatic, like an automatic audience built in from this thing that already exists. But there, most of the time it does not work. And this is one of those instances where it did not work. And I think if it hadn't, if it hadn't tied itself into the whole Saw franchise, if it had been a completely new original film, I probably would have loved it. Yeah. But it's the fact that it it piggybacked on something that already existed. It was actually a lot more like um, Riddler traps from the Batman movies, mm-hmm. where it's like you have to decide who do you want to save, you yeah. know, or or Joker's trap in in the in in that one where he's got the two buildings that are going to blow up, you know. Yeah. Like that's the, the that's, two boats. Yeah. Yeah. The the two boats or the two two warehouses, you know, where. Whereas, like, you, one of these things is going to fail. You have to decide. Yeah. You, know, you have try, to decide to who throw, to save. Yeah. Or, or, like, trying to throw trolley problems at people. And it's like, okay, that's not Saw, but, you know, it could have been known as the trolley problem killer or something. Something. I don't know. It could have been something different. And it. There's a baby over here and a busload of, of innocent people over here. Who are you going to save? And it's like, ah, oh, I'm tormented. Yeah. It's like, text a friend. It could have been, I don't know. <laughs> Text a friend. Split split your resources. Go save both. Right. Have fun. <sighs> so frustrating. Okay. Wow. Sometimes getting these aired out feels like relieving. It's know? therapeutic. It is very therapeutic. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Great. So apparently when I was writing these the other day, I was in a very, I was in a certain place mm-hmm. because we're staying with the what makes you angry okay. vibe. Is there anything about the horror community that pisses you off or upsets you? Yes, but it's a very few people. Okay. And I actively try to keep myself out of this this section, and that is kind of anybody that makes horror unapproachable for other people. Gatekeeping. Gatekeeping, mm-hmm. making it an exclusive thing, or making people feel stupid for having not seen something. Okay, before I saw the title Deathbed, The Bed That Eats, I didn't know the movie existed. So maybe don't make someone feel stupid about having never heard of it. The only reason I had ever heard of it is because um, Patton Oswalt. Yeah. There there is a bit where he's where he talks about being like frustrated in his writing and how he's wondering if anything is ever good. And then he remembers that Deathbed, The Bed That Eats exists. Yeah, I didn't even know about she showed me this bit after like I gushed about the movie. Um, I'm like, see, so at least three of us have seen this movie because Patton Oswalt has at least is at least aware of it. Yeah, I don't know if he's seen it, but he doesn't know. He does know that it exists. <laughs> it is just, you know, I kind of think of it. I think of my ideal vision of the horror community at large. Mm-hmm. And this is a very niche reference, but bear with me. Okay. I read a lot of articles, like three or more, 
about people talking about their experiences back in like 2016, 2017 at baby metal concerts when baby metal first started out. Yeah. And how there were like these giant like Norwegian goth guys walking around this one concert and you would think, oh, wow, you know, these these big guys, big scary guys. No, anybody who got knocked over or trampled or hurt, they were like making making sure they were taken care of. They're making sure there were no creeps. They were like helping people reconnect with their friends that they lost contact with. Yeah. Like a supportive, loving community. You know, horror can be a loving community and our love of horror can can bring us all together because we see all of these gruesome atrocities in film. And then we walk around and we're like the sweetest fucking people in the world. Yeah. You were all the best people in the world as far as like being able to just go with the flow or be like, oh, okay, well, this person needs help. Yeah, the number of the number of people that I see that are in the horror community that are um, vegan or vegetarian, they're animal rights people, not to the extent of PETA, but but they're yeah. they're very like anti animal cruelty, which we all should be. Yeah, um, very humanitarian, very humanitarian, very supportive mm-hmm. for the most part. There are some some people that see the. The part of the community that really bothers me, and it, it goes along with that gatekeeping line, mm-hmm. is the people that act like, oh, you haven't seen the most extreme shit? Well, then you're not a real horror fan. It's like, no, you, know, there, you don't get to decide. You do not get to decide whether or not my passion for something is legitimate or not. Right. Only I get to decide that. So you have these people who are like... They only want to see the most extreme, most brutal, fucked up shit. And so their favorite horror movies are like a Serbian film and Antichrist and all this like splatterpunk stuff. Mm -hmm. And like, I understand that that stuff exists and, and it's part of the horror genre, but I personally am not a fan of any horror film that gets its horror from sexual assault. Right. If that's the extent of your ability to write, to write something scary, you're not a very good writer. I, I'm that maybe that's an unpopular opinion, but like, if that's the extent of your creativity, you're not that creative. Yeah. Um, cause I think what's, what's truly great about the horror community is if you can scare me, if you are a writer, director, what have you. Actor. That can scare me with very little. That, I think, is true creativity. I remember when we saw the the first The Conjuring film mm-hmm. in theaters. And I was, I genuinely jumped several times. And that movie is rated PG-13. Yeah. And I remember talking shit for years about PG-13 movie uh, horror movies and how, oh, PG-13 horror isn't scary. PG-13 slashers, I don't feel work. Right. But I think you, you can-, can do a PG-13 haunting film oh, yeah. extremely effectively. And um, James Wan proved yeah. it. Absolutely. So, yeah. I, I just feel like... The, there, there doesn't need it doesn't need to go so hard necessarily, mm-hmm. but yeah, the the gatekeeping in general bothers me. The other thing that really bothers me is um, 
people who are like, what do you mean you don't like this horror movie? It's a classic. Like, again, no. earlier, my opinion about The Shining. Yeah. It's not a bad movie, but it's not a good Stephen King adaptation. Right. And most people, if you're like, I don't like The Shining or I don't like this other classic Halloween, it's it's like, what's wrong with you? How can you not like this movie? It's the perfect movie. Blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm allowed my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> and and it doesn't what? make me less of a horror fan. Exactly. I go back to the buffet. Yeah. Some people want to fill their plate with fruit and salad. And some people want to fill their plate with all the shit on the dessert area. And fruit salad. And fruit salad. <laughs> and, <laughs> like, it's fine to, like, eat what you like. Right. But don't be that asshole saying, oh, you haven't tried the frog's legs? It's like, no. No, because I don't like it. Maybe I, maybe I don't want to. Or maybe I'm not in the mood for it right now. Right. Because there's there's plenty of horror that we're like, wow, we really want to watch this. And it's like, I'm not in the headspace for it. Or, you know, I'm familiar with that director and I'm not going to be able to handle that right now. You know, something like that. Yeah. That's totally fine. But there's there's no need to minimize one person's experience over your your own passion. Everyone's tastes. Your tastes are your own. Yeah. Your opinions are your own. I mean, and- every cannibal agrees. <laughs> god damn it but no it's it's like you're allowed to like what you like it tastes like fred david oh my god <laughs> it's like i'm not a particular fan of romantic comedies i don't think they're realistic i think they set up unrealistic expectations and are kind of terrifying and are when kind you... of actually terrifying when there's you look at a lot of them like a, a lot, lot of them of... are low-key horror films like there's a lot of stalking and adults pretending to be teenagers and then getting romantically involved with them which I mean, that throws in a that's lot of... That's a whole other thing. Yeah. yeah. But there are some people who love that shit, and that's fine. Yeah. Like, and, and that's... David has to tolerate once every couple of years when a new season of Bridgerton comes out, and I get very, very into it. Yeah. I bought tea. Yeah, it's good tea. <laughs> I bought a tea called Whistle Down Punch that's a hibiscus iced tea. It's delicious. It's delightful, and it's very pink. <laughs> But yeah, you're, I mean, like what you like. I, I don't, there's no need to, to gatekeep. If anything, we should be welcoming people. Yeah. You know, say, hey, have you heard about, you know, this subgenre? You know, it, it should be something where it's like, wow, there's so many options. I can always, that's the thing I love about horror is there is, there's so many fractal subgenres and niches within horror itself. There's, there's subgenres and sub-subgenres and. Right. So it's like, okay, I want possession films, but non-Christian possession films. There's a whole rack of them. God, I would love more of those, though. There there are a lot out there. You just gotta look for them. Okay, we may have to um, cover that at some point. Or, or, you know, if you're wanting something where it's like, you know, another great subgenre, you could sum up as, you know, humanity is the real evil. Yeah, you man know? is the real monster. Right. And even that has its own fractals of it you've got supernatural versions of it you've got you know very grounded like last house on the left type very grounded human centipede oh well, well, i wouldn't call human centipede grounded but it is a, an actual person i mean the first one actually has a doctor second one has a uh a a a, 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 a car park a, attendant that's a fan of the first movie yeah so that's why i kind of like the second one on that just because I, it's it so brutal when i say like i don't mean i enjoy it i just find it more horrific 
when it's amateur hour and he's going through mom's tool, like, like random drawer to find tools to implement on people. Yeah, I can see that. It kind of, it kind of makes the dead ringers looking surgery set look welcoming. I couldn't finish that movie. Anyway. Yeah. All right. So this is kind of going along with the last question. Okay. Um, but in a more positive light. Okay. Uh, what is a common assumption about the horror community that you would like to dispel? That we like awful things. I don't, I don't think necessarily people in the horror community like to see destruction or pain or agony. It's part of the device of, of what makes the films we love powerful. Mm-hmm. It's like, we don't, we don't get off on watching people get hurt but we do enjoy the creativity in which it's told and the story that it's involved around. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Final Destination, for example. I don't clap and cheer when someone is uh, disemboweled through their rectum. But I do sit back and go, oh, didn't see that one coming. Yeah, that's like, kind shit, of... they did a rectal prolapse. Damn. Right. Well, I mean, actually, I kind of saw that one coming, but it's one. a lot of the ones in Final Destination franchise, for example, are like, oh, you're not going to... Oh, no, 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 no. Hey, I think they're going to do this. And you're wishing they could hear you through you're the like, screen. Please don't, please don't, please it's don't. It's like, no, <laughs> I like you. What are you doing? And right there shows the amount of empathy and care because a lot of people that I've spoken to uh, who enjoy horror films, maybe they don't entirely focus on it, but, you know, they enjoy horror films. They're most of the time. Sometimes there there are times where it's like, no, what the villain's too charismatic and cool. I don't really care about these protagonists. I'm just going to enjoy, you know, their demise because they're awful people. Sure, yeah. that happens. But for the most part, I see a lot of people talking about the empathy that they feel for characters. You know, going back to you, you having to care about some of the characters' survival in order to really be invested. I I feel the same way on that. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people are like that, where it's like we need someone. That we can kind of latch onto and say, okay, I want you to get through this, hon. Yeah. You know, you're, I believe in you, whether, whether it's because this person is attractive to you, or they've got characteristics that remind you of someone you care about. Or, or they remind you of yourself, even. Right. You know, where you're like, oh my god, that's me. Yeah. And it's like, you didn't like the character until they started talking, and then you're like, oh, like, oh shit, shit, that's basically That's my me. analog. Yeah. I have to care about you, so come on, you and I are going through this together. Mm-hmm. And, and you kind of put yourself in their place and you're empathizing with the characters while they're going through these traumas and just thinking, oh my God, I don't know if I could do that. See, and that's the thing I feel like about the, about horror as a genre in general is it forces you to confront emotions and feelings and thoughts that you maybe wouldn't otherwise have the opportunity to confront. Yeah. Because it, it forces you to look at uncomfortable situations and ask yourself, how would I behave if this was happening to me? How would I react? What would my feeling be? And, and that I think is something that is, that is truly special about, about the horror community, because you've got to think on a daily basis, there aren't really instances where there are opportunities for, to be confronted with fear. Right. And such a visceral level. Whereas, and I know I keep bringing it back to other film genres, but like on your day-to-day basis or even like in your everyday life, you're going to have opportunities throughout your day where 
one of your coworkers or a family member is going to say something funny and you're going to laugh. Right. Or you're going to find out some news that is sad and you're going to cry. Those are emotions that are easier to confront on a daily basis because there's opportunity to do so. But in our modern society, for the most part, there are very few instances in your, in your daily life where you can confront your own mortality or you can confront the thing that really terrifies you. Yeah. Does I mean, that make sense? Yeah. I mean, aside, like, like, like you kind of, you know, wedged in there that, you know, there are exceptions, you know, people who are living in a place where there is conflict or people who are in uh, abusive situations. People who are part of certain marginalized communities. That, right. You're you going to have heightened fear mm-hmm. and we're not minimizing that. You know, you do have, you have a closer connection to fear. So, mm-hmm. so, you know, if nothing else, horror movies can be inspiring. And horror movies allow you to f- horror Horror media in general allows you to confront those feelings in a safe way. It hel- it also helps you learn more about yourself. Like mm-hmm. I learned, I, I've known about the whole, you know, fight or flight psychology for years. Yeah. I took, a, I took a lot of psychology classes in college and it's one of those things that you just kind of know about until I watched until I decided to confront one of my fears and we watched arachnophobia, mm-hmm. I did not know that one of my own, like, intense fear responses was crying. Mm-hmm. And I know that about myself now. Yeah. So, I don't know. I just feel like it, it, it allows you to feel things in a, in a bubble. Mm-hmm. Where you can come out of it and go, it's okay now. We're safe now. You can safely you can yeah. safely acknowledge those feelings, and then move on. You can be like, "Wow, that was scary." Now I'm gonna go watch a couple episodes of Bluey to re- to because uh, I need something more positive now. Or you could be like me after we uh, we watched uh, with a, with a couple friends from work, uh, Green Inferno, and we all started talking oh about how God. much we wanted barbecue. I forgot about that. But but even then, that bit of dark levity the, was just enough to kind of get us out of that post-film ending. Yeah, like, I, don't, I don't even remember stun what it, zone. Yeah, I don't even remember what it was you said, but you said something the other day that was a joke that was so dark. I was like, "Your humor is as dark as the Mariana Trench." And I and said, I, "Thank you." And you said, "Thank you." Um, yeah, the other the other few um the 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 other supposition i would like to dispel regarding the horror community uh is that we're i feel like this also goes along with people that um play a lot of video games Mm -hmm. is the assumption that we are are violent yeah that we're violent that we're angry it's like yeah some of us are like we're angry but we're angry about the state of the world yeah like we have shit that we're, you know, we're, we need to be angry about. I mean, some of the shit that's going on in, in, in America right now it's just is, is stuff that if it doesn't piss you off, you're either not paying attention or you're part of the problem or you're part of the problem. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's this, some, there's the, the long going assumption and it happens every once in a while when I'm watching like, um, I'll watch like a true crime thing or like some sort of police procedural and they'll be like, oh, the suspect, they play um, 
first person shooter video games and they listen to metal music and they love horror movies. It's like, and, and like that does not equal violence. I, I have played first person shooter video games for years. I've been watching horror movies for decades. I have never, I've never even hit anybody. <laughs> like, it would never occur to me to do some of the, the the violent things that I see in my films or in my video games. Things can be a form of catharsis yeah. without me wanting to actually do them. I have a really shitty, you know, hour or so at the grocery store. Come home, play some Borderlands, you know, just, you know. Right. Pop some heads, you know, have well, fun. And there are some instances where I've, <laughs> I find it hilarious that I've noticed there's a thing that I do where I swear more mm-hmm. at cute and cozy video games yes. than I do at first person shooters. Uh, last weekend we were playing Borderlands and I fucked up a sniper shot and I said, ah, beans. Yeah. And then the other day I was playing Pokemon, Pokemon Legends Arceus, and I won a battle and I said, yeah, fuck you, bitch. To a Pokemon. To a Pokemon. But, so, like, I don't know. It's just a matter of perspective. And we're not, we're not violent people. We're not mean people. Like I said earlier, most people that are in the horror community that I know, they are, um, you know, they're vegans or vegetarians. And sweet and caring people. They're sweet and caring people. They, they have, they love their animals. They love their kids. They, they, they love other people yeah it's i mean it's kind of hard to make something that very often does a commentary on what they see in society or what they see in the world Mm -hmm. without caring it has to come from a place of caring otherwise why would you bother watching this story right exactly wow we got kind of deep there Mm -hmm. okay so my last question is a little bit more uh a little bit more light okay kind of a light dessert yeah, it's like a palate cleanser, I guess. Okay, nice little sorbet. Yeah. I don't know why I said it like that. Sorbet. Sorbet. Okay. Is there a horror film that you would like to see get more love? Yes. Okay. So, uh, thank you for everybody. <laughs> no, expand on it, bitch. Damn. Oh, climax. You don't feel like that movie gets enough love? No, I think it needs way more love. You think it needs way more love? Way more love. I love that that's your comfort film. It is. It is true. I can't really say anything because one of my comfort films is The Fifth Saw. Fair. I just love that one. I wish Carlo Rota's character was around longer in that movie because I love him. But I I think Climax needs more love for the fact that like 99% of the cast are dancers. They're not actors. They're not actors. Like Sofia Batella and I think the guy that played David are really like predominantly the actors yeah um i can't remember his name off the top of my head but but just the sheer acting and how real it feels and again and i know i've said this about climax before but i'm going to bring it up again it evokes in me a feeling that i have not seen in any other horror film or any film in general and that is that time where you're at a party and it's really late so you're pretty much like you're stuck there Mm -hmm. you're stuck at this party and things start going south and there's like arguments or there's a fight or things get kind of ugly and you're just like, 
I just want my parents to come and pick me up. I just want it to be 8.30 in the morning. My mom and dad are going to be here. I mean, granted, I mean, these people aren't expecting their parents to pick them up. But but you get my feeling where, where you're just like, yeah. I don't think I want to be here anymore. And that's setting aside the fact that there's a 40 plus minute long take that feels like it's five minutes it's, long. It's so good. And just it's so it's so visceral. It's so colorful. It's an auditory explosion. It's a visual sensory overload. But there's also deep human connection and heart and real reactions to things that that makes sense. Just when she gets in his face and just screams. That's just like as as a woman, I have wanted to do that with some guys just to get in their face and scream because they won't leave you alone. And just the brutality of what happens when one person gets a mob turned on them. Mm hmm. You know. Just based off of one person's convincing declaration or right, assumption. It happens exactly. several times in the movie. Oh, yeah. Because um, that's that's how Omar meets his demise. I think that's his name, Omar. I think, I, I don't remember. It's been a while. The one that they just lock outside in the The one blizzard. that they lock outside in the snow. Yeah. Um, or the, the chick that was pregnant. Or, I mean, it's, it's rough. It's not an easy watch. But I really no. wish it would get more love because it is... It lives rent free in my head, and I would like other people to maybe take it for a weekend. That's <laughs> fair. That's fair. How about you? It's uh, a great question. I know you wrote it. I know. Sorry, I'm trying to think. I have an honorable mention. Oh, go for it. As an honorable mention, I would say I'd love to see the Empty Man get more love. It's getting yeah. it's getting a lot of love, but I, I want it to get more love because it's. It's a very unique film. And it... In a good way. Yeah. And it, it goes places where you're like, I did not see this happening 20 minutes ago. I, I did not. Though There will be times where if you're watching either by yourself or in a room of people, you'll be like, you'll hear moments where you'll just go, nope, nope, get out of there. Nope, you're done, go. But then everything starts to like kind of do these like Damascus folds on themselves where you start layering it and you're like, Oh shit. It's got a gripping cold open. It's good stuff. You think of one? Oh, I'm looking. If you don't have one, that's okay. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. No, I, I feel like I should have had one. Um, I don't really have one. Um, there are some movies that I wish more people would watch. Hmm. Um, and it, but it's mostly just stuff that doesn't really stuff that didn't get a whole lot of promotion mm -hmm. or that if you're not like steeped in the horror community, maybe you haven't even heard of it. Mm -hmm. So like, there's a lot of stuff like there's various shutter original films that unless you're already a horror fan and you're like subscribed to shutter, you're never going to hear about these films probably. This is not a paid promotion. No, this is not a paid promotion. Shutter no. is not giving us money. If they want to give us money, that's yeah. fine. Um, we will gladly accept it and continue to sing your praises. Um, <laughs> sorry, they've got some great, great films, great documentaries. I've oh, yeah. rewatched 101 scariest horror movie moments of all times. I've rewatched that whole series like four times already. Yeah, it's a great series. Um, it's now my go-to, like, if I want to have something on that I don't necessarily have to concentrate on. Mm -hmm. I just love watching horror documentaries. Yeah. Of watching people the... talking about 
horror. Maybe that's the thing that I wish that I wish got more love is some of these horror documentaries. Uh, what is that? Uh, red, white, and um... um, nightmares in red, white, and blue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that one is um, narrated by Lance Henriksen. That mm-hmm. one's good. Um, Going to Pieces: The Rise and Fall of the Slasher Film. Um, there's a, the three part In Search of Darkness. Horror noir. Horror noir is is also good. I just, I really love stuff like that. I love watching, because it's not, it's other horror fans also, but yeah. but also it's, it's you know, makeup artists, it's writers, it's directors, it's producers. Well, it's, it's the good producers. Um, uh, ho- horror historians. <laughs> horror historians. Um, people that actually teach about horror films at like uh, UC Berkeley and stuff like that. Yeah. It, I like to watch other people basically it's it's fun to watch someone talk about something that they're passionate about. It's particularly nice when it's something that you are also passionate about. Yeah. And so hearing people like um, Mike Flannon and uh, Tana Rive Do and Tony Todd and all these people, Tom Savini saying the things that you also feel it's it's very cool and it's like weirdly validating. Yeah. Um so I I wish I would love I want more horror documentaries. Yeah. Um and I want them to be accessible to people that maybe don't have you know a bunch of very specific horror horror streaming, streaming services. Yeah. yeah. Um that that would be amazing. Um there was there was one series we watched that was predominantly about the effects um that there was one that was about um greg nicotero and his the company and his company right and just kind of seeing how they're like look man it was like 1978 we just we just had some things and you know we took a condom and filled it with this and and we just went with it we didn't know what we were doing yeah and like some 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 of the shit they developed back in the 60s and 70s is still pretty much now it's not broke. We didn't fix it. That's just how we do things. But then other things have been, you know, enhanced so greatly by people saying, hey, here's this new innovation. And the fact that they will actually share their techniques with other with, with, with other, you know, effects artists and such to the. To well, the- like when Tom Savini, Tom Savini was talking about uh, when he did Dawn, um, Dawn of the Dead. Mm hmm. And how the one thing that he really hates is how the blood looks. Yeah. Because it looks like melted crayon. Yeah. And that was before he had talked to somebody else um, who did effects and got the secret of how to make like the mixture for blood. Yeah. That makes it look real. Yes. The screen blood recipe. Now that he once he had it, he's like, oh, nice. Yeah, this looks way better. Mm hmm. And, and that's just. That's just a cool thing. In- instead of being all, you know, cloistered and say, oh, no, unless you work for our company, you'll never know how we do this. It's, you know, they share it. And they're like, wow, you rigged it like that? I would have never thought to like. Like, oh, how did you do that? Like, right. Well, there was one. I think it was Tom Savini had been hired to do um, effects that required animatronics. And he'd never done that before. And so he, he called up Rob Botin and was like, how did you do this? And Rob was like, dude, come over. I'll show you. Yeah. Like, that's that's very cool to me. Like, I've seen chefs do similar things. I've seen 
you know, other people in other professions do that. And it's nice to see that that type of cooperation, you know, exists in, in the creative medium. Nightmare Factory is the name of the documentary. Yes. Yes, that was good. But like one of the, it's just fun. Like some of that stuff, like you learn like these really neat things. But yeah, Nightmare Factory is about Hollywood special effects and like basic, specifically about KNB effects right. and how it came to exist. One of the things I love is how uh, Greg Nicotero was originally in like med school. He was going to be a doctor and then he, mm-hmm. and then he ended up going on and doing like makeup effects, but his dad was a doctor. Mm-hmm. So I, I remember in that nightmare factory documentary, he, um, they were doing the effects for casino. Yeah. And there's that, there's that part where they're torturing that guy and his head is in a vice yeah, and, and his he like eyes ca- are bulging his, out. Yeah, yeah, and he he like called his dad and is like, "What would it look like if somebody's eye popped out of their head?" And and like he even had to explain, yeah, to him, like like crushed from the sides. And yeah, <laughs> and it's just some of that stuff is just super fascinating. Yeah, and hearing directors talk about you know where they get their influences and, um. You know, Mike Flanagan talking about, you know, these are the movies that inspired me when I was making, you know, Haunting of Hill House. It, it, it's just fun. Because yeah. that's the thing I love about, I know we touched on this a bit earlier. That's the thing I love about the horror community. And that is the fact that it is a community. Yeah. It is, you know, you've got these writers and directors and effects works that they're, they're all friends and they work on each other's projects. And... It's just, it's just heartwarming in a weird way. I I think along with that, though, something that you don't see very often in other genres, just to kind of throw more self-love at the horror community. And that is, you know, with comedies or action films or dramas, you know, you'll, you'll see on the news, oh, well, this film flopped and it, you know, it, it barely did anything at the box office, whatever. Very rarely do I see horror films where they're like, Oh, well, it didn't do very good in theaters, so we're not going to make any more. First of all... We don't care. That's It's doing such... Maybe, maybe doing such low numbers that they're not even reporting it on the news because they don't even, they don't want to talk about the horror movie because it's a scary thing. Because well, because you know, we're still not seen as legi- as a legitimate art form in in for some respects. I've talked on this before, and that's the term of elevated horror. Mm-hmm. I mean, where I, people have to justify liking, like, oh, it's not a horror movie; it's a thriller. Fuck you! There's a cannibal in it. Silence of the Lambs is a horror movie. Yeah. Well, my whole take on elevated horror, though, was at least my initial understanding of it was that it was a little more cerebral. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, I understand that nomenclature saying it's it's not just blood and guts; it's what you don't see. It's that dread, and I get that. But when people start co-opting that term to make it because let's face it, almost every term you make for any type of genre or franchise or anything like, you know, it, it can get co-opted for negative reasons. Like torture porn doesn't really mean torture porn. No one's getting off on watching people's, you know, various tendons getting sliced. I mean, somebody probably is, but most of us aren't. I mean, anything you look at these days, it's somebody's fetish. So once we, once we get over that and do our little ew cringe or whatever, then we can just go, okay, well, this is giving me a, a visceral reaction or this is giving me an emotional reaction or this mm-hmm. is gi- making me uncomfortable or making me happy for some reason. Who knows? You know, I mean, everybody's different, but. Sorry, continue. I'm looking something up. 
Okay. Uh, or if you have more to say. But yeah, the the community at large, I feel, doesn't. I mean, you know, doing well at the box office is great. Doing we- doing well enough to keep, you know, your, you know, everybody paid and the the company afloat and all that stuff. Yeah, I'm all for that. That make that makes perfect sense, you know. But there are a lot of horror movies that no one hears about until someone goes, "Hey, have you seen this?" And it becomes almost like this, like very personal introduction. It's like, "Hey, you want to come over and watch this one director's two movies that that they have out? They're really good." And I know a lot of folks that will be like, "Hey, you should check out this horror movie. I thought it was good." You see a lot of personalization to it instead of saying, "Oh no, this is the funniest movie ever." No, it's not. It's well, funny to you at that moment, at that time in your life. Right. Go back Go back to it 10 years from now. Is it still the funniest movie or are you kind of embarrassed? Yeah. Nine times out of 10, I'm going to say you're probably embarrassed. Because it doesn't hold up well. But a lot of horror movies will ho- hold up because, you know, just, it's life. Yeah. I don't know, I'm running out of words. No, you're fine. Um, this is going to be a bitch to edit. I'm so sorry. It's okay. <laughs> It was fun to record. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I sh- this was a nice conversation. Yeah. I'm just hoping to get something coherent out of it. It'll oh, be all okay. good. I'm sure it'll be great. Yeah. It'll be awesome. Um, all right. I'm out of questions. Okay. And did you have any questions for me? I know you didn't write any, but. No, I didn't write any. So I'm, I'm not going to throw any to you last minute because it will be like, I'll, I'll write some questions for one down the road. Okay. I feel like a better term for elevated horror could be intellectual horror. Because mm-hmm. that intellectual horror doesn't have such a, such a negative connotation. I feel like elevated horror has a negative connotation. Almost an elitist thing. An elitist. Yeah, exactly. Well, Whereas I feel like, because your, your whole thing with, you were saying it's more cerebral. So I think that could, you know, intellectual horror could be something that is maybe, because you've got your average, you know, you've got slasher films. That are, you know, horror and you've, you've got your stuff that it, it does what it says on the tin. Yeah. Well, what I would like to actually call it mm-hmm. is way too wordy to call it. Because okay. I, f- I feel like calling something like cerebral or, or intellectual horror might make someone who doesn't feel like they're the smartest person in the room. Mm-hmm. They might steer away from it going, well, then I'm probably going to be too dumb to watch oh, it. Oh, yeah, that's fair. So what I would yeah. like to call it, and, and this is the debut of this thing. Is called horror of the dawning dread. Mm. That horror, that type of horror where everything is fine until you go, oh, and like the music stops and you go, oh no, oh no 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 no, oh that everything was fine until a second ago and now I am terrified and it, like you get these reactions. I've got just thinking about some unknown dawning dread has me with freaking goosebumps right now. Right. Well, and one thing that I feel like a lot of people say about elevated horror is that, you know, oh, there's a deeper message and, and that kind of thing. Horror has always had that. Oh, yeah. There has there has been a deeper message. Granted, some of them, you just it's just what's there is, is you know. Is what is it is. That it is what it is. There's nothing deeper to it. And sometimes it's an analog. For some, sometimes an analog gets placed on it after the fact. Exactly. One of the things that people um, keep coming back to with the original Night of the Living Dead is the fact that the the main hero is a is a black man. Yeah. And this was during in the 1960s during the civil rights movement. 
when something like that would have been seen as almost subversive. Yeah. And, but that wasn't, that was not George Romero's initial intention. He was just the best actor for the job. Yeah. Um, but like social commentary has always been part of the horror genre. Um, particularly again in the works of John Romero and John Carpenter. Um, I mean, the original, the last house on the left was a statement that Wes Craven was making in part to the proliferation of violence that he was seeing in, in the world around him. And he was becoming disenfranchised with the world, which yeah. I don't blame him, but. So he made a really violent he made fucking a really, movie. He's, he, it's horror is something that can always be used to hold up a mirror to society and mm-hmm. say, this is where we're at. Do you like what you see? Because if you don't, maybe you need to reevaluate what you're doing and how, where, and where we're at as a society. Yeah. And again, I think horror allows us to confront uncomfortable truths and thoughts and feelings that maybe we would rather leave in the dark, but we need to address them. We need to look at the things that scare us and say, why does this scare me? What can I do to cope? What can I do to overcome? Am I part of the problem? Am I part of the problem? I I like there's there's a saying, and I don't remember who initially said that, is that you you don't face your fears and defeat them. You you face your fears over and over and over again and you learn to live with them yeah and i feel like horror really allows us to to do that again in a relatively safe way mm-hmm. um i feel like people that in general don't don't really watch horror or or consume it or anything I feel like when when shit really does get into scary situations, it's harder for them to cope because they haven't taught themselves how. That's what we're doing. Yeah. That's what you and I do. That's what our listeners do when they when they read and watch and play horror stuff. You are learning how to deal with some of the most uncomfortable, stressful thoughts, feelings, emotions that you will ever have. I'm willing to wager that horror fans are better at spotting things like gaslighting. Absolutely. Because that's a trope in like several subgenres of horror. Mm-hmm. I mean, somebody recently called the new Invisible Man gaslighting the movie, and I was like, yeah. Fair. Basically. You know, <laughs> and it, so it's, it's equipping us. Mm-hmm. It, it's equipping us to go, okay, this isn't great. Things don't look good. We can kind of look more realistically at situations. Instead of mm-hmm. saying, oh my god, the world's ending, we can say, okay, the building is on fire. Yeah. We need to evacuate. No, you do not. You're not getting that recliner out of here. Yeah. I am not helping. Okay, well, I am going to not burn in the fire. Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to leave. Yeah. I would like you to come with me. Mm-hmm. So I think that is going to do it for us for this episode. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed this conversation, this kind of deep dive into, into topics we don't often, you know, necessarily get to talk about. Um, 
next episode we will we will be back into covering a couple of films Mm -hmm. i may have another book review cool we'll see how it goes um so yeah uh, you can follow us on the uh, social medias. We are on uh, Twitter. I will. I refuse to call it anything else. Yep. Uh, we are also on Threads. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started us on Instagram, but I haven't really posted anything yet because I'm like, what do I post? It's a podcast. And you uh, brought the Facebook group. Back we too. have a face. Yeah. We have a Facebook fan group. Okay. Um, we also have a website. I'll get those links on the website. Okay. Uh, eventually okay uh h2horrorcast.com is the website there's also a link to our patreon we are patreon.com slash h2horrorcast you can support us for as little as a dollar a month i am still working on getting um better tier rewards um to maybe encourage more people to become patrons yeah um if you are already a patron or you're not able to become one and you want to still support us you can rate and review us on all of the platforms where that is an option, particularly Apple and Spotify. Mm-hmm. It helps us get it. Basically, it helps us in the algorithm. So we get recommended to more people that maybe aren't already listening, um, kind of grow the audience. Yeah. So on and so forth. Um, so, yeah. And you can also reach out to us because we have like the Facebook group and Twitter and stuff. And I would love more fan engagement. Yeah. I would love, I would love to get um, an email or like a quick little message on our Facebook group or something. Yeah. That would be nice. Cause so far it's just my mom and Kelsey. Yeah. Which I mean, <laughs> y'all are both great, but I love my mom Kelsey's and I love awesome. Kelsey. Yeah. But I hearing from other people about, Hey, here's how you're, here's how we think you're doing. Or, Hey, we have an opinion about this thing that you said. Or, I mean, as long as you're being nice, I don't care. Or like, oh, wow, where can I find this movie that you talked about or something, you know? I mean, I mean, Google exists, but... Don't be mean and don't be creepy. That's all I ask. Yeah. Don't be a dick. All right. So until next time, I'm Tia. And I'm still David. And stay spooky, friends. Bye. Music for this episode is Save Us Now by Shane Ivers. Our artwork is by Catherine Nixon.